Well, guys, let me pray, and we're going to jump into the message this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to come here a little bit more rested, to encounter you, to love you, to gather together with other believers who are seeking after you. God, I pray for every person in here, uh, people who have questions about uh, what this Christianity thing is all about, what the Bible has to say. God, we, we thank you for bringing them here this morning, and we pray that you speak truth to them. And God, for people who have been walking with you for a while, um, God, we, we also pray that, that we listen to you and we hear your word. And uh, God, we ultimately come here to celebrate you, to lift you high, lift high the name of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, guys, we are starting this new series on parenthood. After a big, long series over the book of Romans, I really enjoyed that. But, but we're glad to do this quick little series. It's only four weeks long. And um, I, I, just a show of hands, who here <coughs> would agree with me that parenting can be pretty difficult? All right. I mean, some hands were like on their way up before I even finished the phrase. They like know what I'm going to say. Um, so it can be challenging, and I love, there's a famous quote from Mark Twain, uh, and he said, hey, when, when, uh, when the children, when they turn 13, put them in a barrel and nail the lid shut and feed them through the knot hole, famous Mark Twain quote, and then he said, when they're 16, plug the knot hole. <laughs> like, it can be tough and difficult, especially when we think about teenage years. I've got teenagers. Actually, I love them, and they're awesome, and they're great. Um, but, but what we're going to look at in this series are the principles that God gives us. God's the one who invented the family. God's the one who instituted and gave us, many of us, the role of a parent, of a mother, of a father. And for some of you who might sit there and go, well, is this series going to really be for me? Um, maybe I've got adult children or maybe, uh, you know, what, what God has planned for my life. I don't have children. Uh, there are principles that absolutely apply to our lives. And then God has probably put you in connection, in relationship with those adult children who will one day be parents. And, and you can share wisdom and really encourage uh, other people in your life with some of these principles that we'll discover here in the next four weeks. So stick with us. But here's the big idea I want you guys to walk away with this morning. And it's this. A parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependency away from them until it rests solely on God. And I think this is interesting. Anybody here like a National Geographic fan? Like, you know, love watching. Yeah, I love watching like Nature Channel and shows. And man, it can be vicious. And, 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 and it's interesting to see um, how not so defenseless very small animals are at times when they're first born. You see a little baby deer born. And immediately it like gets up and starts wobbling around and few minutes later, it's like running with its mom from its predators. And it's like, wow, that's crazy. That, that little deer is a few hours old. Not so much with us. We are completely helpless when we're born, right? Humans are like completely helpless. We, we depend on everything from our parents. We depend on getting changed, getting fed, uh, being put in a safe environment, you know, those kind of shelter, all those things. We are very dependent on our parents. But the goal is, the big idea that, that, that we see in Scripture is that slowly we want to transfer that dependency and, and have 
our children understand that they can fully and completely trust in God, in his wisdom, in his truth, in his direction. Um, we're going to look at a few, uh, just one main passage this morning found in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. And this is a very well-known, kind of famous passage in the Old Testament. Uh, so much so that, that for the nation of Israel, this was kind of the most well-known most recited passage. They would recite it. A good Jewish person would recite it morning, noon, and evening. Um, and, and this was just something that they knew that God was directing them very clearly to do. When did they receive this? If you back up a little, we're going to be at Deuteronomy chapter 6, but in Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 5 is where uh, they're given the Ten Commandments. And this is a, a, the, the nation of Israel, God's people coming out of bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they are kind of at a loss of like, what do we do? What is our direction? Who are we as a people? And that's when God really uh, reveals himself and, and, and gives uh, specifically Moses all of this revelation of God, of who God is and what his plans are for him and what his directions and, and what are the guidelines that he has called them to follow. So as we look at this, we talked about this last week, we do understand that this is written, the audience is the nation of Israel. And so there's some things that are very specific to them. On this side of the cross, on this side of what God has done through Jesus, we look at it through a little uh, different lens. Um, And uh, so as we look at this, we see the principles, though, that God has given to, to people when it comes to how we share God to our children. And I think it's just really interesting this passage deals with um, uh, with specifically it's it's the most well-known passage and it deals with uh, with kids. Here, here's something I've been convicted by recently. I think in terms of like six months plan six month plans, maybe a year plan at the most. Um, God looks so much farther than that. He thinks of generations and generations beyond of what he wants to accomplish. And one idea I want you guys to get in your mind is not just, okay, here's my situation. Next week, how do I raise my kids in a way that is helpful? Is this, is this message going to share me? You know, I've got this little toddler, and I cannot get their little blanket away. They are stuck to this blanket, and there's got to be something that Pastor Ben shares on Sunday morning that helps some beautiful spiritual principle that gets me to release because they're way too old. I mean, they're going into high school. They're dragging their blanket with them. What do I do? Sorry, I, I really don't have, you know, some little simple principles for you when it comes to that. What I want us to think about is that God has called us to, to implement things that can have generational effects. That, that we're talking about, what, how does this affect my children? Yes, but then my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Um, and, and so that's kind of the picture that we get here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, let me read it. It says, those are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. 
And so these principles to the nation of Israel, God has just a bigger view of us affecting not just my little situation here, but what are these principles that really set off? Because I don't know where your background is. I, I, I'm embarrassed to share with you my spiritual background. Why? Because I've been so incredibly blessed. I, I grew up in a, in a Christian household, and, and um, my grandfather was a pastor. And, 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 and what's interesting is I look even a little farther, though. My grandfather and um, my grandmother, both on that side, my, married, uh, my father's grand, uh, mother and father, they both came together, and they met in um, seminary. They met in, um, um, as my grandfather was training to be a pastor. I know sometimes we're confused about what seminary we're talking about. Uh, but but uh, in graduate school, they met together, and they both connected over this, that both of their fathers had committed suicide because they were atheists, and they felt like there was nothing, no purpose to life, and no reason to live. And they discovered Jesus in their life, in their adult life, and they had that commonality. And they, I didn't know that until later in life when I was an adult. And so to see, to just kind of take for granted that, like, I, I grew up in this Christian household and, like, my grandparents were Christian, my dad grew up in a church and, and all these things, not so. I can look back in a pretty short uh, a sense as far as, you know, history of our family and see that uh, I had some grandparents who said, look, we're, we have given our lives to Jesus and, and we're going to follow these principles and it has greatly affected my life because without that, who knows? So who knows in your life? Who knows what you're establishing and what you're carrying on uh, in future generations? But that's a call that, that God has a bigger picture than, than, our, and our, than our troubles and our short little circumstances. Um, number one, the big call that, that we're asked to do here in this passage that is so well known is to love God. If I could be as simple as possible, to simply love God. And, and here's, the, here's the thing about loving God. And you see this throughout Scripture. God initiates the love first. He initiates the love. He shows the love. Um, uh, in the New Testament, we, we run across a passage that said, while we, while we were yet sinners, which simply means us rebelling against God, saying we know better than you, we've got life figured out better than you, um, we'll use you, you know, for our own means, but, but, but I really am doing life my own way. That's simply what sin is, not following God, but following yourself. Um, it says while we were in that position, that's when Christ died for us. That's when, so God, this principle that we see, and then, of course, in John three sixteen, most famous passage in the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that God initiates it first. He shows his incredible love. He, that is the quality and characteristic that we see in God that is, is the very essence of who he is, that God is love. And so God initiates it, and then we respond to, to who he is and, and what he is in loving him in return. In uh, going on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, this is really the passage that they would recite three times a day. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Or some translations might say, the, uh, the Lord uh, is one. 
And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It begins by identifying the one true God. It lines up with what Jesus said that, 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 and what he taught, that there is only one true God. And, and Jesus specifically said he's the only way to the Father. There's no other way. And this is a group and a people who came out of a different culture and, and then would find themselves surrounded by cultures that would claim other gods and other ways and other religions. And this is something that they began, and, and, and if they were faithful, would say three times a day, and it begins with there's only one true God, and there's only one God. Um, and you must love the Lord your God. That, that is, that is our, that's the plea, and that's the, the reminder that they, they tell themselves. And then we'll, we'll see how they pass that on to their children as well. Um, and the key there in that passage is, is also... With all of your heart, that the 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 amount the what God uh, uh, de- what He deserves and the reasonable response to who He is and His amazing love is that we would we would share we would give all of our life that this isn't just like a part time little checkbox one day a week we think about God and we'll see that as Deuteronomy in this passage continues and it gives a picture of God being a part of every aspect of our life. But that that is God's called us for everything in our all. Anybody here in your line of work or whatever, every year you're, you've got the wisdom or whatever, you have different opinions on this, get the flu shot. Who here would admit I get the flu shot? My work makes me get the flu shot. Well, now I'm scared of you guys. Like half the people in the first service, maybe I didn't ask the question well. But, but um, what kind of worries me a little bit is I've seen a pattern in my own life and in a lot of other people that we almost get an inoculation of God or an inoculation of Jesus or following him. That we've heard just about enough or we have enough of the truth where it doesn't fully impact us. That it doesn't fully lead us to this full devoted life following and loving God with everything, with all of our life um, allowing God to invade every decision that we make and every direction that we're headed in life. Um, but that's a call that we, that we have. So what competes for that all-consuming following of God and, and going after him? Well, we live in a culture that, man, we, we get, you know what I hear a lot and I see in my own life, we're really busy and there's a lot of opportunities. Sometimes, as we talk about parenting specifically, one of the greatest sins that we see in our culture, that our culture would say, this is something you cannot do, is allow your child to miss out on opportunities. That that, that, that is something, as a good parent, you will give your child every opportunity you possibly can, as if that is our greatest goal. And as we go back to God's word, we, we see that, no, what if our kid had every opportunity in the world, but they didn't understand how God loved them, why God created them, and how God wants them to follow him with their whole life and with all their strength and with all their soul and with all their heart and miss out on why they were created, but they had every opportunity our culture can provide. So we have, we have a lot of things that compete, right, for our priority of, of what... Uh, what we're trying to direct our children to do. Here's here's a 
uh, statistics. Who here loves stats? I love me some stats. I just, you know. Um, and, and here's a study, and it is a little dated. I, I think this study's probably about 10 years old, so who knows? In our changing culture, what may, you know, what may change? But this one really surprised me. And it's um, kids who become active Christ followers as adults. And here's four categories of kids who, when they're adults, they're following Christ. And they're, they're active in their, uh, in their local church. And um, if mom and dad went to church and they grew up in that, that environment where that was a priority, 72% of kids would then be active in, in church and following Jesus when they were adults. Now, if it was just mom and only mom went to church when they were growing up, 15% of those kids were active in church as adults. Now, I say this stat, and I really hesitated, hesitated to share this with you because this is not meant to put some shame and guilt on anybody's life, but instead inspire us and show us as parents the influence that we can have when it comes to our kids and them, them following uh, God and doing that main goal that I, uh, that I laid out in the beginning of, of having them trust and, and follow God. Um, if dad only went to church, and I think this is really interesting, 55% of those children. So it goes from just mom at 15 to just dad, 55% of those kids. Men. Um, now, I'm not trying to be sexist or say there's something more important about that, but there is something that, that happens when men step up spiritually. I thought it was so cool that, that in the last service we got to see um, celebrate a baptism um, and from, from a guy about my age. And he said, you know what, what prevented me? I gave my life to Jesus. And what prevented me from just taking that step of following him to get baptized? I knew he wanted me to. Just pride. Just pride. That's all it was. You know, what are people going to think? Or, you know, I'm this dude. And, you know, because us dudes, I think, deal with that in, in some significant ways. But, man, when, when men step up, and are, are, are following God and leading their families. Um, God, God does some uh, amazing things. And if neither dad or mom were a part of church, only 6% of those kids as adults will, will be active, um, have a, be following Jesus as adults. Um, number two, we're to lead your family. That's what we're called to as parents. And that may sound so basic and simple, but that is the call. It's almost, I kind of almost want to say, here's the definition of parent. Of parent someone who leads their children. And, and we may take that for granted. That may sound kind of simple. But I think in our culture, especially, we've seen a shift. And we've seen a change. And we, we see this tendency for the children to lead the parents. And whatever the children want. And whatever's best for the children. And the children kind of are the ones that are the primary focus within the family structure. And God's word says, uh, no, that's not the way that I ordered it. That's not how I've, I've called you. Here's a principle that we can take home and say, um, nope, that's, that's not the most loving thing for the child. Because I think that's what we think we're doing. Hey, if we make little Johnny or little Susie, we rotate our entire family schedule and life around them Man, that incredible attention and love is going to produce these wonderful children. 
and usually they, they are produced into spoiled brats who think the rest of the world should, <laughs> should be centered and focused around them. That it's really a loving thing to, to, to not make, help have them lead the family. But instead, parents, we're called to lead. That means we're making decisions for them. And we're telling them what they can and they can't do. Um, Proverbs, uh, or no, I'm sorry, let me read this in Deuteronomy. I love this passage. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. This goes on as a part of this Shema, this very famous passage. Uh, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Again, the level of priority and the commitment towards what God's calling us to do. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And... uh, the nation of Israel and, and, and Jewish people today would take some of those very literally as far as on the doorposts of their homes and tying them and, and those kind of things. Now, you're not going to, you know, if you, we're not, you're not going to walk out of here in the service. We're not going to give you anything for your wrist or your head, although that might be what we need. We might need reminders because the beautiful thing about this passage is that it says God should be a part of and influencing every part of your life. Every aspect of your life, the way you do job, your job, the way your kids do school and the relationships that they have and the relationships we have, the way we do neighboring, the way we do uh, shopping, the way we do everything in life, this passage shares with us that the way God intended for it is for us to, to, uh, to incorporate God into every aspect and as parents that that's how we model it with our kids. That in every, every we, we wake them up and we're encouraging them and pointing them to, to this beautiful day that God made and what God wants for their day and what God has in store for them. Um, and that's the kind of picture that we get. Uh, we're to lead intentionally. So we're to lead our family. And it's not supposed to be the picture that we get in this passage is that we are very intentional about this process. Um, and so in Proverbs 22, we're going to look at some real specific uh, lines here, some specific ways that, that we're to train our kids based on some principles of God's word. That's something we, sh- we promised that we would share with you during this parenting series. And so we want to look at those. But, but as far as this leading intentionally, and I do not mean, mean to offend. I could tell you, I could spend a lot of time up here and just tell, tell you about all the mistakes I've made in parenting. Right, Jackson? Yep. Okay. Jackson's like, I, am I supposed to pay attention? See, I forgot to train him to pay attention. Uh, but I've got two kids in here. I'm certainly not a perfect parent. But what I mean by lead intentionally, it means at, at a most basic level, kids know they get really smart, and they know how we operate, and they know how to manipulate us to where they're the ones in charge. At the most basic level, and I'm not trying to make any parents feel bad or anything, it's when the little toddler throws a tantrum, and they get what they are throwing the tantrum for. Who's in charge? Who's leading? Why do kids throw tantrums? Because they work. That's it. 
they simply work. And so if we are saying, well, God's called me to lead, and I'm in charge, and the most loving thing, not the most easy thing sometimes, but the most loving thing to do is to be in charge, then we don't allow the manipulation, whatever that looks like. Like when they get older, the fit turns into, you know, some kind of emotional thing, or I'm not talking to you, or I'm going to have this attitude until I get what I want. But that manipulation, we recognize it, and we discipline it. We give a negative consequence when they're acting like that. Like, it's easier when they're smaller. Like, okay, what is the negative consequence when they throw this tantrum? And then guess what they learn? The tantrum didn't work, and actually something bad that I didn't want to have happen happened. Like, at the most basic level, that's us leading as parents. But then, it, you know, it can get more complicated, I think, as they're older and they get wiser and try to... But it is the loving response. And here's, here's the spiritual implication that I, as a pastor and working with parents and families, that I kind of breaks my heart to see if our kids never get that concept, then they continue this, this attitude of saying, I'm in charge. And whatever I want goes. And then we have a lot of adults who kind of have that attitude. I'm one of them. I can slip into that thinking. Then we'll have like churches full of adults like that. And the whole basis of what God has called us to do is recognize that we're not God. And that's actually the very root and foundation of sin, right? Saying, I'm in charge. The, the world revolves around me. I get what I want. And if I don't, I, I throw a little tantrum adult style. I throw a tantrum teenage style. I, I, you know, um, am angry and mad and, 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 and whatever. And so what it does if we don't train our kids and God, I mean, just think, he has the wisdom on this, right? He's, he created us. He's all-knowing and he's loving. And if we don't follow this, we're not giving our kids the opportunity to understand what it means to trust and to follow the leadership of God in their life and to follow Jesus and instead, they'll be introduced to Jesus, many of them, but it'll be on their terms. And that's what we run into, I think, a lot in our, in, 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 uh, in our groups of, of churches and people following Jesus. Um, so it's a very important principle, and there's a reason that has very significant spiritual implications. So here's some real, uh, real practical things. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train a child in the way he, he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. But I want to do one thing whenever I share this passage. This is a proverb. This is how things usually go when we follow God's principles. This is not the book of promises. And there are things, sometimes there's been, I think, uh, this has been kind of mis misused, and there's been a lot of parents who've been saddled with guilt and shame, thinking, well, my kid rebelled and wandered off and didn't follow what I was trying to lead them in. And, and I guess I, I didn't follow Proverbs. I tried to, but, but for some reason, that didn't happen to them. Or we'll judge other parents, and that's perhaps even worse, and think, oh, well, you've got a rebellious kid who's who's not, not following God and not, you know, and not being a part of church or knowing Jesus and stuff. And, and then we'll think, oh, well, you didn't raise him as a child should go. 
And that is not guilt or shame that we should ever use or put on ourselves because these are principles. Another principle we see in Proverbs is that a righteous man lives a long life. Now, would you guys say 30, 33 years? Is that a long life? I hope not. I like my buddy Grayson thought I was still in my 30s. Friend visiting from out of town. I was like, thank you, man. Because I am not in my 30s anymore. I'm in my my 40s, and I hope that's not a long life that I have, if if God blesses me with a long life. Now, a righteous man lives a long life. Who's the most righteous man that ever lived? Actually, the only perfect one who ever lived. Jesus. Well, he only lived maybe 33 years. So is scripture wrong? Is this wrong? Is, Is this promise wrong? No, it's not a promise. It's a principle. And so sometimes God does not, you know, change the, the free will of someone who's rebelling against um, what they were uh, taught by their parents. Um, and, and so that is a really good principle that, that we see. And that's most of the time that is what happen, uh, happens as we saw some of those stats earlier. So here's some other principles that we should instill in our kids and that God has wisdom to, to help lead our kids on the, in these areas. Um, training from Proverbs, and we'll just run through these quickly. Number one, train them to manage God's money, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. One of the great things that, and things that we can give our kids as a gift, like how do you manage this money thing? And the first thing in, in that phrase there, that it's God's money. That everything we have, everything, not just money, every possession, every talent, every gift, every opportunity we have, every relationship is from God ultimately. And for our kids to know that from, from, a very, from growing up with that kind of principle um, will help them view uh, money and how to handle it in a very different way. Number two, train them to carefully select friends. And, and we, we talk a lot uh, here about how we, we, we do not exclude ourselves from anyone. We love everyone. We, we embrace everyone. We include everyone. But when the Bible talks about friends, it's talking about intimate relationships that are influencing your life. And that, that throughout Scripture, in Proverbs, it's very clear in this passage, Proverbs thirteen twenty. But we see this principle time and time again, like who is influencing your life? And be careful who you allow to have that kind of close relationship where they influence you. Number three, train them to watch their words. We see that principle. That, that, and this isn't just don't, do, don't be cussing. <laughs> this is the principle that, that our words are, have a powerful impact, both negative and positive. And that, we, that, that is something, a lifelong principle in all relationships that we deal with that our children should grab a hold of from a very young age. Um, train them to be responsible. It goes back a little bit to managing money, but recognizing that, that we are given the responsibility to manage the things that we have. Uh, and, and those are the opportunities and, and, and the uh, material things and, and the... the um, uh, the things that we have to fulfill that, that God has called us to be people who are dependent, dependable and trustworthy and, 
and that, that we're honoring God and showing character in those areas. And number five, train them to guard their minds. That, that the world doesn't have the same values as God. That God's values are often opposite. That, that as we see Jesus proclaim and teach what his kingdom's like, it was often upside down. Uh, things like leadership. Uh, our kids and, and people in our culture, they want to get leadership so they get power and get control and get influence and maybe even money with it. And Jesus said, no, hey, I'm, I'm giving you, as, as a follower of mine, a different view of leadership. That the kind of leadership I want you to have is so that you serve others and take care of others and, and sacrifice and put others first and lead them to truth. Um, and so that they, from a young age, know that the culture in the world is trying to tell them very different values, very different messages. Number six, train them to be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five. I guess I didn't mention all of these. Number five, uh, guard your minds is Proverbs twenty three seven. Train them to be responsible is Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Uh, but, but train them to be generous. What a beautiful gift. What is, hey, let's be honest. We are an incredibly blessed material area. I mean, not just being in the U.S., but even in our specific culture here. We are incredibly blessed with material wealth. Even the poorest among us would be considered, you know, crazy wealthy. Uh, throughout history and, and even in most parts of the world today. And with that, we should know comes this huge temptation to put our hopes and our dreams and our desires towards material things because they're tempting us all the time. And the only, uh, the only thing that can combat against materialism and thinking that's where we're going to find joy and satisfaction and meaning in life is generosity. The, really kind of the opposite. And to discover at a young age that, that generosity is what we're called to do and that Jesus was right when he said it's better to give than to receive and to not allow that, you, you know, uh, what the culture is going to be throwing at them for the rest of their lives to, to, to really uh, color that, that view. Number seven, train them to fear God. And the Bible has this theme throughout Scripture that we have a proper view of God. In Deuteronomy, this, this most famous passage, it presents a proper view of God. There's only one God, and guess what? I'm not him, and I'm never going to be him. There's one God, and, but here's the good news, he's all loving, and he loves us unconditionally. And he doesn't just love us with words, he loves us through action, that he proved his love for you and I on a cross. And he has done everything necessary to, for us to have a perfect relationship with him. How? By paying my price, my penalty for my rebellion, for my sin, for me going, this is my life. And I, I, I'm in charge and this world revolves around me. And God has made a way so that we can have a relationship with him. And he showed how much he loved us by coming here and, and being tortured and being humiliated and, and doing what was necessary to have, that, um, to have that relationship restored with him. And so this proper view of God, of who he is, that he is holy and he's just and he's good and he's powerful, 
That is something throughout Scripture, of course, that we need to instill at the very youngest age of our kids that we possibly can. I'm going to ask the band to come up here as we wrap up this morning. And I want to encourage you in the coming weeks, some things that we're going to tackle and look at is how do we help our kids understand their identity in Christ? What does that mean that they make a decision themselves individually to say yes to Jesus? And how does that affect and influence our parenting and and where they're headed? Um, and, And I just look forward to you guys coming back and seeing what God does through through this whole series.